Good morning, Calvary. Since it is Orphan Care Sunday, I have the privilege to share with you a little bit about how we at Calvary has, have helped uh, orphaned and vulnerable children this past year. And the list was so long and so overwhelming, I had to kind of narrow it down. But uh, many of you don't know the ways that our church have been involved in caring for orphaned children, and we want you to hear. So this past year, through Safe Families for Children, we have, we have hosted eight children within our church, and three of those children made decisions to follow Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That means that Calvary families said yes, they welcomed these children into their homes, children that were vulnerable and potentially going to be put into foster care. And these Calvary families cared for them, loved them, nurtured them until their parents were on their feet again. As a church, we delivered over 30 meals to our safe family host families. We also provided over 25 gift cards, school supplies, and backpacks to these kids. Um, there is a couple in our church right now in the process of adopting three children through foster care. Uh, this was a kidless couple, and so we helped uh, make their house uh, ready with their bedrooms for their kids. And they also had a car that didn't fit three, a family of five. And so a family from Calvary donated a car to them. Three Calvary families have adopted in the past year, which means that there are three children that are orphaned no more. Uh, Calvary paid for a foster child to go to a uh, therapeutic camp for kids. Some of these children that come from hard places have a lot of wounds and scars, and they need help with counseling and therapy and just learning how to deal with some of the rejection that they've experienced from their first family. Um, on a Wednesday night, a random Wednesday night, we did a thing called the Kids Walk for Hope, and over 50 Calvary children participated and raised over $5,000. They walked around and around and around the Calvary Church parking lot, raised $5,000 that they gave to orphaned and vulnerable children in South Africa. Through Acres of Love, we have a partnership with them. Over 20 uh, Calvary families filled Christmas stockings for kids through Olive Crest. One Calvary Church member has been tutoring two foster kids with their homework. Uh, Calvary helped throw a baby shower that was given to a young mom of an uh, adopted boy. Uh, Calvary also supports three missionary families who work directly with orphans. Um, in South Africa, that's Randy and Susan Clark. They have a baby home for orphaned and vulnerable children. Uh, in Kenya, you may remember Mama Sweetie. Uh, she runs a home for orphans with HIV. And in Moldova, Oleg and Marina Rotsky, who run a home for orphaned girls who have been trafficked. So this is literally only a snippet of, we, of what we at Calvary Church have done to care for orphaned and vulnerable children. And we just want to say thank you. Thank you so much for caring about this. Thank you for being a part of this. Um, it's really overwhelming what we've done. Right now at Calvary, we have something called the Orphan Care Task Force. There are 40 of us on that list. When there is a need within Calvary Church for orphaned and vulnerable children, an email is sent out to the 40 of us, and we can try to respond to that need. I'm going to be direct and honest with you that we are hoping this Sunday to double that number. Uh, with a church as large as Calvary, we are looking for 80 people to be on our task force. 
the 40 of us, because of all that we've done, and again, I only read a few of the lists, the long lists that we had, the 40 of us have really been working very hard, and we need more hands. So we would like to invite you to consider signing up to be a part of the Orphan Care Task Force. There's going to be more information about that later after our speaker. And then also we have here at Calvary an Orphan Care Fund. Some people may know about it and some people may not. Um, if you're a person with means, there will be an opportunity to give to that fund to help us do some of these things. Um, if you are a person here, though, who has a specific need, we wanted to make it clear that we have this fund. We have resources here at Calvary to care for you if you're caring for orphaned and vulnerable children. We have the Orphan Care Task Force that loves to come around you and pray for you and bring you meals and support you practically. We have funds that are available to help you and whatever you need. And so we just want you to know, come to us. Let us know your need. We want to come around you and support you and care for you as the body of Christ. Specifically in that regard, if you have uh, a need, see Pastor Michael Wells or Pastor Matt Doan. They can help you with that. But I just wanted to say real quick that um, this list that Karen just rattled off, I've read it probably 10 times in the last week. And yet hearing it here this morning in front of all of you, like I saw a few people here welling up and I was welling up. Like that's really remarkable what's happened just in the last year here. Yeah. And we thank God for that. We thank you for that. And I hope you get the sense and the picture and the idea that you can get involved at any different level. There, I mean, if you can stuff a stocking with your family, it's that simple. Or if you have a car that you don't need, it can be that complex. But there's a way for you to get involved. Uh, I have the privilege this morning of introducing you to our guest speaker. Jed Medifin is a friend of mine. We go back to our first day of classes at Westmont College. Um, the first thing you need to know about Jed is that he's smart, really smart. Everyone who went to Westmont with him picked up on this pretty quickly. I recall being impressed with him on that very first day in our honors freshman philosophy class. Jed excelled in college and created some great post-college opportunities for himself. In fact, he was headed to one of the top law schools in the country until he and three Westmont friends got the crazy idea to postpone real life after college and go instead on a year-long, around-the-world mission trip. That trip turned out to be an epic adventure for the ages that later turned into a really great book called Four Souls by Jed and those three Westmont friends. In the years following the publication of that book, Jed worked in politics for a number of years, starting in Sacramento, shifting to Washington, D.C., and culminating with the two years that he served as acting director of the White House Office for Faith-Based and Community Initiatives at the end of the George W. Bush administration, a position he assumed at the ripe old age of 33. Years ago, when Karen and I were en route to Ethiopia to meet our son, Daniel, we stopped in Washington, D.C. for a night on the way there. And while we were there, we visited with Jed, who also was in the process of adopting from Ethiopia along with his wife, Rachel. We compared stories. We commiserated about some of the hardships of the adoption process. And then he gave us a really quick West Wing tour. It was pretty cool. I recommend it if you ever get the chance. Uh, the next year, the Bush administration came to an end, and Jed found himself out of a job. And it was at that point in 2009 that he took the helm of the Christian Alliance for Orphans, which is an alliance of over 180 orphan-serving organizations all around the world. Uh, 
the, the alliance brings these member organizations together to work on coordinated initiatives that grow effective adoption, foster care, and global orphan care rooted in the local church, again, all around the world. In the last handful of years, under Jed's leadership, the orphan care movement has made significant strides. Uh, Jed is also the author of this little book called Becoming Home, uh, Adoption, Foster Care, and Mentoring, Living Out God's Heart for Orphans, which you'll have an opportunity to pick up in the lobby after the service this morning. So to recap, Jed worked in the White House. He and Rachel are adoptive parents. He's the president of the Christian Alliance for Orphans, spoken at major orphan care conferences all over the country, and he's traveled the world for the cause of the orphan. What I'm trying to say is, Jed is an expert in this field, one who is nationally recognized and sought after. Can you imagine how many other churches want to have the president of the Christian Alliance for Orphans in their church on, Sunday, on Orphan Sunday? So it is a real privilege for us to have him here this morning to share with us a critically important message. Please join me in welcoming Jed Medefend. Thank you, Curtis. And just for the record, there is no church that I would rather be at than Calvary Church this Sunday. <laughs> I'll tell you one of the reasons for that. On Wednesday morning, I meet with some men for prayer, and one of those guys' name is Kirk. And when I told the guys I was, praying, I was going to be speaking here this Sunday, Kirk lit up and he said, that church changed my life. Kirk had, had grown up in a great Christian family, but in, in high school, he had kind of drifted away from his faith. And there was actually a guy from the church that came up to him and said, Kirk, you say you're a Christian, but your life doesn't look like it. And he challenged him and invited him into a community of guys here at the church, and it just drew Kirk's roots back down deep. And, um, and he's living it today. And, and even perhaps more remarkable, Kirk went on a mission trip after that with a guy some of you probably know, um, Tom Schoen. Um, and, and went uh, to South America. And there, the bad news is he contracted malaria on this mission trip. But the, the neat thing is that that actually, that experience changed the trajectory of his plans. He had been planning to go into physical therapy. Now he's a professor of infectious diseases at UC Merced, living out his faith there. And, uh, and so that's part of the legacy here. And from everything I've heard just this morning and talking with Curtis and Karen and others, it is clear that, that there is already so much health growing here. And so I just pray I can be a little bit of fertilizer on that this morning. Um, where I come from, fertilizer is mostly chicken manure or cow manure. And I would be happy to be either if it, if it just helps a little bit. Well, um, as Curtis mentioned, today is Orphan Sunday. And it's actually being celebrated in thousands of churches around the U.S. and around the globe. But it's got an amazing story of its genesis. Um, it, was, it was actually came from Zambia. There was a small church in Lusaka. And the pastor there, a guy named Billions Chanwe, who I've gotten to know, um, this is cement floor, wood and, and, and mud walls and, and corrugated roof. And yet he, he sensed that God wanted him to challenge the people in his church to care for orphans in that, that area. And he knew they were poor. I mean, many of them were hard-pressed by, by HIV and, and other issues and diseases and poverty, but he knew every part of the body of Christ is called to care out the, the biblical call to, to love and care for the orphan. And so he, he just celebrated that on a, on a Sunday morning. He called it Orphan Sunday. And, he, and, and, and on that day, there were people in the church. There was an elderly man who actually came forward. He took his shoes off, and he put them there in front of the church and said, these are for the orphans. 
And there was a woman who had been at market prior to the service, and she had two heads of cabbage. That, that, that was going to be their family meal. She brought those forward and put them in front of the church. And there was, there was an American there who saw this happening person after person, and he was so moved, and he just felt like the American church needs more of this. And so he took this idea back with him to the United States, and he, he just kind of shared this idea, and it began growing among a few churches and more and more. And, and today... Orphan Sunday will be celebrated in 76 countries around the world. A gift from this small church in a hard-pressed part of Lusaka, Zambia. And isn't that the way God loves to work? Takes little unexpected things and grows them into more than we can imagine. Well, um, I just want to just very briefly here uh, give you a picture of my family. So um, let's see here. I forgot the right button. Okay. There we go. I've never been particularly good with, oh, there, oh, whoa. Okay, so those, those are my five kids, Sienna, Marin, Eden, Lincoln, and Phoebe. And they, as you can tell, so often get the better of me. But we have a lot of fun together. And this is my wife, Rachel. And as you can tell, obviously, from the photo, she's gorgeous. And she's an amazing wife, amazing mother. She is also a very good runner. And so I, I actually try to avoid running with her to the fullest extent possible. You can, you can see what it does to me when I do run with her. Um, but I am, I am a very blessed man. She will be here at the next service. Um, but I, um, you know, what, what is the best part of my work is that I get to spend time with Christians around the U.S. and around the world. And I, 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 I hear similar things. People saying, we want to live that pure religion that James talks about. We want the church to be known as defenders of the fatherless. And, and I'm seeing this in, in little house churches and mega churches and, and in other parts of the world and, and you know, in, in big cathedrals in Singapore and small, you know, home churches in Vietnam. People having this yearning to live this out. And, and it's really interesting that even now you're beginning to have the, the secular media notice this. There's just a few headlines here. Washington Post describes an evangelical Protestant orphan care movement. Um, you have even the New York Times talking about church, Christian churches taking up orphan care as a tenet of their faith. Um, magazines covering that. You have globally as well, like I mentioned earlier, Orphan Sunday. These are different Orphan Sunday websites in different languages. And the Christian Alliance for Orphans doesn't create those. We just create a basic template. And then people in other parts of the world, they, they develop these with their own languages and images. And, and it is remarkable to see this beginning to stir. But what we need to know is that this is not something new to the Christian church. This has been a part of the DNA of the body of Christ since the earliest days. The ancient Romans had a practice called exposing. And this is what it was, that if a child that was born unwanted, maybe because it was malformed, maybe because it was the wrong gender, maybe it just arrived at an inconvenient time, the, the, the parents could take that baby outside the city walls and just leave it there for the wind and the rain and the wild animals to do the work. And, and the Christian church at that time, although it was a small and persecuted minority, earned a reputation as a people who would go outside the city walls and find those children and pick them up and wrap them up 
and take them home and in some cases even raise them as their own. This is something the church has been known for all throughout history. You actually have early church documents that, that have it, it describes the requirements for elders. And one of the requirements is that you must be a lover of orphans. And there's Afra of Augsburg. She was from the third century. She was a prostitute who came to Christ and, and, and she just changed her life completely. And she actually developed a network of Christian churches that when a baby was found exposed, they would enable them to, to place the baby with one of these, the families in these churches all over. This has been something that the church has been known for at its best throughout history. But it, but it kind of begs the question, Why? Why is this such a clear command in Scripture? Why does God call his people to defend the cause of the fatherless? And why has the church throughout history, and again today, made this such a priority? What is the reason for that? And, and I, have, I have come to believe with all my heart that it is about more than just another good cause. That the, the biblical call to care for the fatherless and the way that the church has reflected that throughout history ultimately reveals to us so much. First, about the orphan. Second, about the God we serve. And then third, about what he desires for each of us. So that's what we're going to explore this morning. So, so first of all, the clear biblical call to care for the orphan in distress tells us a lot about the orphan, him or herself. So, you know, there was a study done by Dr. Charles Nelson in Romania of, of children growing up in orphanages there. And what he actually found is that for every two months that a child is in an orphanage, a low-nurture orphanage, for every two months that child loses one IQ point. And you ask yourself, why, why would that be? So I want to give you a little visual of this. Okay, So if you look at this slide, first look at the lower part of it. And that is actually a brain scan of a child. This is a child that is growing up in a family. And in, in that side, the top part of it, the red part, it's showing activity. That is actually the frontal cortex. That's the part of your brain that makes decisions, that has capacity for analyzing what's going to happen and then, and then making wise choices and deferring gratification, all of those things. So in that child that's growing up in a family, that is, it is on fire. There's things happening there. And then you look up at that top slide. That is, that is a brain scan of a child growing up in a low-nurture institution. And look at that frontal cortex there. There's almost no, no red at all. There's, there's very little activity. Because just the basic things that happen in a family, eye contact, picking up a child, wrestling with them, talking with them, having conversation, even very imperfect parents, there's continually things happening there. And, and the human brain is such that when a child is born, there are billions of neural pathways all throughout the brain. And they're kind of like, they're like little trails amidst the jungle, okay? And if you use them a lot, they become wider and wider and actually over time become like super highways where information can easily go and it, it develops patterns and capacities for decision making and relationship and all of those things. But when those pathways are not used... They begin to atrophy and ultimately they disappear. And so when a child is growing up without the love and nurture that parents provide, even very imperfect parents, there are things that are, that are happening even at the brain level. 
And it, but it's not just there in the early childhood. That, that the effect of being without the love and nurture that God intends the family to be impact all of life. This is seen with, with a special just vividness in the vulnerability of, of orphaned children to trafficking. A study in Moldova found that girls who grew up in orphanages were ten times more likely to be victims of trafficking than other girls. Another study in Zambia found that, that they, 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 they surveyed all of the girls who were working as prostitutes on the streets, child prostitutes. They found that three-quarters of them were orphaned. Their average age was 15. They made $2 a day sleeping with between three and four men every day. That is the vulnerability of the child that doesn't have the mother and father to stand between them and all of the evil that the world can bring. And it's, it's not just out there in some far-off place. You know, in 2013, the FBI did a raid of trafficking rings here in the U.S. They found that 60% of these child victims came out of the foster system. And I, I think it's somewhat intuitive why that would be. But, 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 you know, we've got to realize that God designed the family for children. And the, the family provides nurture and love and relationship and, and all of these things. And, and, and that the world can be a dark place, as we all know. And that the, the parents are designed to stand between that child and that, that even when they are removed from the picture, there is a vulnerability that, that perhaps you don't see anywhere else. There's a young woman named T. Ortiz. I've gotten to know her a little bit over the years. This is T. And, and T. actually spent 18 years in the foster system from some of her first days all the way through. For seven of those years, she experienced trafficking, was exploited sexually and on, on the streets and in very terrible ways. And she, but she tells her story today. And she's very frank about it. And she says, you know, the, the reason for this vulnerability is because when a child from foster care goes missing, hardly anyone notices. She, she says, there's no amber alert when a child from foster care goes missing. And I will never forget these words she said. She said, for me, as, an, as, as unfortunate as it is to say it, the most consistent relationship I had in all my years of foster care was with my pimp and his family. that absence of the protection and care of love that makes the child growing up without family the most vulnerable being on our planet. But the fact that the Bible puts this emphasis here also tells us so much about the God we serve. So I want to show you this slide, see if you can figure out who these guys are. Does, does anyone recognize these people? Any guesses? That's right, the Greek gods. I mean, aren't they amazing? Doesn't it make you want to just worship them? No, of course not. They're, they're petty, they're self-absorbed, they're arrogant. They're, they're always concerned with themselves and getting involved in these silly little human dramas. I mean, it's as bad as reality TV. In fact, that would make a great show, reality TV, the Greek gods. Um, worse than the Kardashians. But you think, what were these deities concerned about? Who were they interested in? They were, they were interested in the, the gods, uh, the other gods, the, the generals, the beautiful people, the athletes, right? The really 
amazing people. So they might have been interested in, you know, Matt Doan. But what about the rest of us? They wouldn't have paid attention, right? But then you think about the God of the Bible. Look at the words describing him in Deuteronomy. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome. He shows no partiality. He accepts no bribes. I mean, can you get more different than that? Than that from these, these Greek gods? Utterly above Utterly powerful. And yet the very next words of that passage say this. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow. Wow. I mean, I cannot imagine a more amazing juxtaposition in all the religious literature, in all of history. The great God, mighty and awesome, above and powerful. And yet especially concerned for the most lowly, most vulnerable. And so what we begin to realize is that when, when God is calling us to care for the orphan, to defend the fatherless, like in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah is calling God's people back to what the heart of their faith is supposed to be. And one of the things he says, he says, defend the cause of the fatherless. That is clearly a mandate, right? But those are the same words that were used of God himself back in the Torah. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow. So we realize that this call to care for the orphan in distress, it's not just a mandate that ultimately it's a mirror of God's character. And what we as Christians need to know most of all is that this story is not just the orphan story. It's not only about the fatherless alone, that this is our story too, right? Because what is the gospel except that God pursued us when we were destitute and alone and he draws us to himself. He, he embraces us in his arms. He invites us to live as his sons and daughters to call him Abba. That's our story. And so when we as Christians just choose to reflect these things in small Simple, humble ways, whether in adopting or fostering or becoming a mentor for a child in foster care or supporting other families that are doing those, doing those things, we are simply giving reflection to the way that we have first been loved. The, the Bible's clear call to these things not only reveals things about the vulnerability of the orphan and about the God we serve, but it, it also reveals a lot about what it is that God desires for each of us. Because when, when God invites us near to the orphan in distress, what we need to understand is that he is calling us into a place of great brokenness and great hurt. And so if we come into places like that, we will inevitably taste some of that brokenness and hurt as well. Last summer, I spoke at a camp about some of these things, and after I had finished, an elderly couple came up to me. And they wanted to share their story. They're in their 80s or maybe early 90s now. He's a retired Air Force 
uh, officer. And, and the Webbs, the other names, the Webbs shared with me how 40 or 30-some years before they had fostered a number of children. One of them was named Rick. And they had really loved this boy. And they had really wanted to help change the trajectory of Rick's life. Rick had experienced terrible things when he came into their house. But, but no matter how much they would try to embrace him and love him and encourage him, that he would just continually push back. And any time they would try to set limits or any boundaries at all, he would just blow up. And then he would say things like, I know the law, you touch me and they'll throw you in jail. And no matter what they did, just couldn't break through to Rick. And then one, one Thanksgiving, they, they made this very nice meal, Mrs. Webb did, and, and they had this Thanksgiving meal together. And then right afterward, Rick went out and he stole the neighbor's farm truck and drove it and crashed into a ditch. And the police got involved and they took Rick to juvie and, and they wouldn't let Rick back into their home. And all of these years later, I could still hear the pain in the Webb's voice. And then they shared how Rick had, after he got out of juvie and aged out of foster care, he ended up committing some crimes and went to prison and then, you know, was in and out. And then one, one time, actually, after, right after getting out of prison, he, he was con- committed, convicted, or he caught that very night breaking and entering. And under California's three stra- strikes law, he was put in prison for life. And today, 30-some years later, Rick is in his 40s, he's still in prison. And I could just hear from the webs that ache. of they had, they had had such high hopes of how their love and kindness and embrace would just change everything for Rick, and it didn't. And so we need to know that, that loving the orphan, that embracing them, that welcoming them into our life and home, that when we bring the child into our home, we will experience some of the pain that they have experienced. We are opening ourselves to that. And so adoption and other forms of orphan care, foster care, it mirrors the gospel story not only in its beauty, but also often in its costliness. And that's why we need to walk this road together. That's why we need each other. That's why we are better together in this, because we desperately need each other to walk this road together. You know, I think of, of my wife and I, our, our own journey with this. We, we had, um, you know, first felt this stirring in our hearts and, and looked into various forms of adoption and orphan care. And long story short, we, we decided that we would adopt and we were going to adopt from Ethiopia. And we went through all this paperwork and cost. And those of you who've been through this journey know it can be very daunting in and of itself. But finally, we reached the end of that. And, and we, we were matched with a little girl from Ethiopia. And we made our plans to go and to, to get her and bring her home. When I, when I got a phone call, I was, I was at work at the White House, got a phone call, and they said, Jed, um, we have something we need to tell you, uh, but we want you to be with Rachel. Can you go home? And so I hung up, and my heart was pounding, of course, and I just feared the worst, went home. And we got, Rachel and I got together, and then we called the adoption agency back, and they said, we're just so sorry to tell you this, but your, your little girl died last night. You know, that she, she, had, she had pneumonia and her body was very frail to begin with and it just took her life before they could even tell us that she was sick. And it's just amazing how much you can grieve for a child that you've never actually held before. And yet we knew we were just tasting the smallest bit of the world's pain. You know, so many 
parents who've lost children, so many children who've lost parents, so much ache and anguish. And we just had this little tiny sip of it and it was so, so hard, so bitter. And you have to ask yourself, you know, is, is this what God wants for us? Is, is suffering and sorrow like that really what he desires for us? And I think the answer to that is both no and yes. I mean, no in the sense that he did not create our world to be this way, right? He didn't intend for sin to mar and twist everything. So no, this is not God's intent. But yes, this is his means of redemption. You know, God is not like a general sending a cruise missile from a ship to some far-off target and solving the problem from a distance. The gospel is a story of entering into hurt and experiencing that hurt. It's a story of nails in the wrist and splinters in the back. That is God's intent for redemption in this broken world. And so I think all of this, it, it comes down to a decision of what is it that we really desire from this brief time on life, brief journey in earth. You know, 10, 20, 30, maybe 50 years from now, just about every one of us in this room is going to be dead. I mean, it could be kind of a sad thought or maybe a happy thought. Like, we're all going to be dead in about 50 years. So, and, 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 and it, for some, it'll be a lot less than that. So what do we want between now and then? What do we want to look back on and say, this was the substance of my life? I mean, I, I think about the two couples that were out, up here earlier and the things that they're looking back on and saying, this was what my life was about. Those are the things that I want when I'm coming to the end, whether that's maybe that's a few weeks from now. No one knows how long we have, but that's what I want to look back on. That in some small way, I participated with God in his work of grace and redemption and the kingdom of God breaking forth into hurting places on this earth. And that's what loving the orphan and that's what embracing the child in foster care gives us a chance to do. And when we're doing that with others in the church, it enables us to walk that road for the long haul in a way that we couldn't alone. After we lost our little Ayana, our church actually reached out and said, Jed and Rachel, we'd love to, to hold a, a service for you. Will you let us do that? And so even though Ayana was buried in Ethiopia... They had a funeral service at our church, and I'll just I'll never forget that day. Tears coming down my cheeks, and, and yet just feeling such a tangible embrace of the body of Christ, such a deep feeling of God's love wrapping all around us. And, and later when we got back into the adoption process, and, and we, we ended up bringing our daughter Eden home and and people in the church were a part of that every step along the way there was a a young woman who babysat while we were filling out the paperwork so my wife would have unbroken time to do paperwork and there were some people that helped us financially because we couldn't afford the whole cost of it so people helped us carry that and after we brought Eden home there was a, a retired woman named uh, named Lorraine Withers and for a whole year Lorraine did our grocery shopping for us we'd give her the list and she'd go to Rayleigh's and bring it to us so even though we were the ones wrapping around one child, it was really the whole church that was wrapping around us. And that's ultimately the vision. It's not just one family fostering or one family adopting or one person being a mentor. 
It's one family wrapping around the child. It's wrapped around by the whole church community. We're better together. You know, not, not every Christian is called to adopt. Not every Christian is called to foster. Not every Christian is called to be a mentor or a CASA volunteer. But every Christian community is called to live out the pure religion that James describes. And there's a part for every one of us in that. So, you know, I, I know a, there's, a, there's a lawyer in Colorado that, that does free legal work for people who are going through the process. There's an orthodontist who does orthodontic work for families that have adopted. A good buddy of mine, when, when he had a, an unexpected placement, he's, he, they were fostering, and they got a, an unexpected placement of two children, two African-American children. And that afternoon, their pastor's wife, who's African-American, showed up at their house with a big basket of hair care and skin care products, gave them a two-hour crash course on how to care for hair and skin, which is very important if you don't understand that. We need each other in this journey. And when we live it out like that, when we live it out together, it shows the world God's heart like almost nothing else can. I got to know a, a young woman named Che. And Che uh, spent some time in the foster system in Tennessee when she was um, in her teens, she got, a, she got a job and she, she got an old car. She would drive it to and from work. But, but one day, her car started smoking on her way home from work. And she pulled over, the, but the car then just, like, flames were coming out. And she jumped out of the car and she was fine, but her car just totally melted down. And she, she explained to me later, she said, I, I knew you needed to put gas in a car, but no one had told me anything about oil. And, and that's just the simple little things like that that you don't learn if you're not growing up in a healthy family. But there was a local church where she had gone from time to time, kind of on and off over the years, and a mechanic there learned about this. And so he actually got in touch with Che, and he helped her to find a new car that she could get at a low cost. And, the, and actually the, the church kind of had some funds, and so they actually helped her with a part of the cost of buying this new used car. And the mechanic then began to teach her about car maintenance, how to change oil and what needed to be done with the fluids and that kind of thing. And, and then there was, there was a woman in the the church. And, and when Che was actually at this, about this time, they, they, the system was going to put her in a group home because she was old enough where it was not, they, they just assumed we're not going to be able to find a family to foster her, so they're going to put her in a group home. And the church, some people of the church got together and said, we can't let that happen. And so there was actually a widow in the church who, who had been a, a Sunday school teacher to Che when Che was in seventh grade. Her name is Sherry. Sherry said, I I, I want her to come with me, come live with me if she wants to. So she said, Che, would you want to come live with me through the rest of high school and as long as you want? So Che went to live with Sherry. And, you know, it, it, it wasn't always easy. There was friction because Che was used to living without a lot of boundaries and restraint. And so Che says, she said to me, there was a lot of friction. But then right after that she said, but if you ask me today who my mom is, I'll tell you it's Sherry. And there were others in the church that were part of that journey as well. There was a lawyer that helped with some legal issues and, and a couple others in the church that, that helped with the unique gifts they had. 
And a few years ago, Che met this great guy named Nate. And when they decided to get married, it was just natural that they would want to get married in that Baptist church that had so embraced Che through this journey. And Che came down the aisle, you know, gleaming white. But there was no father to give the bride away. But the church had already planned for that. And so when the pastor said, who gives this woman to be married to this man? The whole church stood up and said, we do. That, to me, is just a little glimpse of what it looks like for a church, not just as individuals, but as a community, together to reflect God's deep love, God's special heart for the orphan, for the fatherless, for the child that's growing up without love of parents. There's a place for every one of us in it. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you for what you reveal of yourself and how deeply you love the orphan, Lord. And how you invite us to participate with you in that, Lord. Not, not as heroes, but simply giving a small, humble reflection to your heart and character. The way that the, the moon reflects the sun, Lord. Help us to do that more and more, Lord. That we may know your joy, Lord. That children may experience your love. And that the world would see more of who you really are through your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we thank Jed for sharing with us this morning? Thank you, Jed. I feel like my heart is softer now than when I walked in this room. And I trust that the Spirit is doing that in your life as well. And if you will, will you pull out in your bulletin booklet that you received when you came in, uh, there should be a card that looks like this. It says on the top, ways to get involved with orphan care. And as Jed so rightfully said, orphan care has many faces to it, many means and modes to it. And I want to invite you to participate in a couple of ways right now here today. One is, is as Karen mentioned, to be part of our task force. We have 40 people who get an email whenever there's a need of someone who's on the front lines of orphan care. And we'd love today to double that to 80. And so if you're interested in being on that task force, you don't have to say yes to every need, but you'll just be aware of the needs that happen within our church. Just simply fill out this bottom portion of this card today, tear it off, and you can drop it in in the offering that will be passed in about two minutes or so, or you can give it to us at one of the back tables in the lobby. Either way, we'd love to have you commit to that today. And then as Curtis and Karen both mentioned, we have an orphan care fund, and our hope in that is to grow that fund as maybe you're aware adoptions, either internationally and even here domestically, can be very expensive. And so often money is a barrier for people to get started in this journey. And so we'd love to remove that barrier. And so we'd invite you above and beyond your normal giving here to the church and your commitment to faith promise that you would give to this fund. And you'll have an opportunity to do that 
even right now as we pass our offering. You just simply write Orphan Care Fund on the little envelope that's in the seat rack in front of you. Or if you even go online, you can do a drop-down menu and there's a spot to click, I want this money to go directly to the Orphan Care Fund. And then the hope is some of you will use that fund to begin the journey and the process of bringing uh, someone into your home as part of your forever family. And then one last thing, and then I want to invite us to worship, is that in the lobby we have several tables and resources for you to check out. And let me just kind of like put you at ease with this. If you walk up to a table and grab something, this is not committing you to anything necessarily. But I'd love for you to be exposed to all the amazing things that God's doing, not only here at Calvary, but here in Orange County and beyond. And so we have a table for those that are considering adoption. We have a table for those that want to get involved tangibly in providing resources for those uh, that are adopting or, or fostering. And we also have multiple tables out there that maybe at first blush don't feel like they're orphan care related, but they are. We have an Orange County Human Trafficking Task Force table uh, because often uh, part of that is either someone that, as Jed mentioned, is part of out of the foster care system or even could produce a child into the foster care system. We want to 